So do we have any idea what C-S-E-M-N-G-C-F is? We'll have to wait and see. Oh, really? Yeah. Nice. Okay. So, so we don't need to remove it from the agenda? Nope. Howdy, this is Monday, July 17th, 2017, and this is episode 51 of Do For A Win, the Atlantic City and Casino Biz podcast. I'm Kyle Askin, joined as always by Craig Stone. What's good, Craig? Happy to be here. Happy to have episode 50 done and out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all of the extra work we put into it. Yeah, man. Well, it really, it really bogged you down. It was probably the most editing intensive episode for dumb reasons that probably nobody would have ever noticed if i just left it as is i mean yeah well that's the sign of good editing right people can't tell the difference that's true yeah it's like umpiring or like refereeing in hockey you don't want to notice them yeah it's like the editor you don't want to know they're there exactly you notice when Uh, they're you notice when they fuck up it's bad so what percentage of the swearing on this show do you think you do is it a hundred percent uh it's probably 98 i yeah i think you've a gotten, lot of it i think you've gotten in a couple i don't think so i think maybe in like the when you edit in the before and after show jokes oh, where yeah, that's i'm not expecting true. to be on the air yeah that's great but i don't know if i do i gotta make sure your real personality comes out kyle and that personality <laughs> swears people, people know i'm fake on the actual episodes in case that's not clear yeah i mean it is true i do swear a lot more in real life than I do on the on the show, but I'm probably the opposite. I probably swear more on the show. Eh, maybe not. Mm, yeah, maybe. It's probably pretty representative. So how how was uh I don't know what does it feel like to be beyond episode fifty, starting our second cycle of of fifty episodes? It feels the same. <laughs> it's yeah, like what, you're right. It's like when people ask you like how it feels to be X years old now. Or, like, how it feels to be married when you dated your whoever you're married to right. for, like, you t- eight lived, years or whatever. with <laughs> your fiance, girlfriend, yeah. wife for multiple years before actually getting married. Yeah. Like, it's the same. Yeah. It's the kids. Usually is. Kids that change stuff. Yeah, that's true. It is not the same yeah. to have kids and not have kids. Yeah. That is totally different. And nobody's like, hey, you have a newborn. What's it like? Eh, it's the yeah, same. Exactly the same. Yeah. Probably really, really crappy dads say it's the same <laughs> yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. i still haven't touched a diaper so <laughs> yeah yeah i'm sleeping great it's awesome <laughs> awesome uh, that'll be you again in <laughs> what three my, with my life whatever. being exactly the same yeah exactly the same again yeah not quite like two months probably oh, that's but nuts. definitely closer to two months than three Ooh. soon yeah, i know feel soon are we going to atlantic city again before i have another child i hope so yeah i hope so too because i'm not going after that probably in 2017 so ever again the end 20 2018 (laughs) i think yeah i think that sounds good i'm confident in that all right well we should probably plan that but that is not something to talk about for the episode i think we can get into some news now um looks like you want us to start on uh, ac fan expo there is another update 
Yeah, meaning that the state of New Jersey has updated their kind of case search program online. We got an update from there, given the total lack of coverage that this has gotten in other news outlets. Uh, it looks like the uh, hearing went forward, the, the show cause hearing went forward on Friday. And now they are having a case management conference in a couple weeks. What's the date? August 15th. So let's see what that is. That is a Tuesday, and I believe that it's at 2 p.m. Uh, it looks like I talked to my wife a little bit. Case management conference is usually where they try to plan out some of like the big dates they want to go for in the upcoming case. So it just looks like it's kind of full speed ahead heading towards trial. This is just another thing that has to be done to get there. Yeah, so not much of an update except that you know it's not resolved. Right. So it's still going on, still a lawsuit, so... Still no that's, coverage. That's that. It's still no coverage in other places. I mean, maybe uh, we were all proud of ourselves for getting a scoop. Yeah, I know. It's just was, that nobody I was, cares. I was hoping that <laughs> other people would kind of pick up on it and we'd learn what's going on, but oh well. Yeah, I mean, AC Primetime did did use a clip, so yeah. they they are interested. Yep. Others in the media, less so, apparently. But Yeah, it's, it's fine. I mean, I think probably they were all, like, waiting for some real dirt to come out. Who knows? Right. There's probably nothing that goes on much in these early hearings. So, I don't know. Maybe, maybe we have, could have found out a little bit about what's going on actually with the lawsuit. But, who knows? I, I really don't know much about it. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I, my guess is that these are all very short and, like, okay. Yeah. What's, what's I, the date for the next one? Let's go. What we really should do is uh, we could, I mean... It's too late now. She's sleeping, but we could pull my wife in to just have a 10 minute chat about this since she did litigation for many years and is a lawyer. Yeah. Wake her up. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe next time. Yeah. That will go over so well. But with my wife? Or yes. With, with your wife. Yeah. Being woken up for this. Yeah. I mean, it will go over so well with the listeners and that's what I care about. Not your yeah. wife. So let's do it. I mean, it's something that would make, I mean, I'd be happy to learn more about this. Yeah, I mean, I've seen a lot of abbreviations that I had never seen before and have yeah, no clue. Me either. But. So, I mean, my wife basically has done 100% of the legwork on this for us, which is I'm sure we're stuck, and I'm like, what does this mean? And then she tells me. Yeah, I mean, like, I've tried to Google, and I'm still just like, I don't know. I, I don't understand. Mm -hmm. So, thanks yeah. to your wife. Yep. Thanks, Megan. Uh, should we talk about some, some, some concerts? Beach concerts some, that happened? Yeah. Back-to-back -back nights last week. Wednesday mm -hmm. and Thursday. Uh, do you want to talk about it at all? No. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> Lead the uh, way. So we talked a little bit about the back-to-back -back thing and how it was a Wednesday and Thursday night. Obviously, let them keep the stage set up and everything up. Probably reduce their costs. Not in half, but, you know, all the setup costs and, and teardown costs were only done once instead of twice. Uh, Nicholas Huba from the Press of AC. I'll link to the article in the show notes. Uh wrote that 50,000 people estimated uh, sh showed up for Pink on Wednesday night, which is a huge crowd for a Wednesday night in the boardwalk. I think he said something like 5,000 or even less typically are there on a random Wednesday night in the summer, maybe half that. But uh, yeah, a couple thousand, he said, stroll the boardwalks typically. So not a lot, but... No, no estimate given really for just Brantley Gilbert, who both of uh, both of us had said we'd never heard of before his concert was announced. 
But he did. Nicholas Huber did say estimated sixty to seventy thousand total for the two nights. So presumably that means ten to twenty for Brantley Gilbert. I certainly saw less social media presence of people who were out and about and going to the Brantley Gilbert show than I did for the Pink show. Although maybe that has to do with the fact that my bubble of social media is more likely to go to a Pink concert than a Brantley Gilbert concert. I don't know, but. Uh, do you think that has more to do with the back-to-back nights and, you know, there was show fatigue, or do you think it's just that Pink is a way bigger star than Brantley Gilbert? I think it's mostly that Pink is a, actually a very big star that everyone's heard of and, you know, has been around for a long time and has a lot of fans. Uh, so they actually talked quite a bit about this on the last AC story, which I believe it sounded like they recorded kind of between the two concerts, um, so they were out and reporting on the pink concert and we're talking to people and apparently right now pink is not touring. So it was like a huge draw for pink fans because this is basically the only place you can see her if you're interested. And people came in from like all over out of town. They said they were talking to people on the boardwalk who are from Massachusetts, Kentucky, New Hampshire, just, you know, not from the general area you would think AC pulls from. So that's good good for Lamb City. Yeah, it is really good. And and that's what they were saying, too, on the podcast. They were saying people seem to have a generally positive impression of Atlantic City. The boardwalk was totally insane the entire day. You know, all the head shops and pizza stands and stuff seem to be doing very well. So, yeah, it was a really big thing. I I, I mostly think it was just because Pink is is so big and so well-known. Yeah, I would have guessed three times approximately for pink than for Brantley mm-hmm. Gilbert. Although I, obviously I don't know much about country music, but uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think that that's, I don't know what they were expecting for Brantley Gilbert, but I don't think that's necessarily terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's fine. I mean, good to see so many people come out. The most important thing I saw on social media revolving around the pink concert is that apparently she, went and got some food at Tony's Baltimore Grill after her concert. So oh, did she? Got to give nice. her a lot of credit for that, right? Yeah. That's huge, awesome. Huge, huge shout out to Tony's Baltimore Grill. That's great. So the, the place to be when you were drunk and need beer and food. Yeah. Beer, pizza, wings, all those things. That's <laughs> what we had when we were there and drunk. Oh, man. I want to go back to Tony Balt- Tony's Baltimore Grill. That's <laughs> what I got to say. I don't know. Should we... I'm kind of like wondering if I should ever go when I'm sober because I don't know if I can ever recapture the magic in that mindset. You got to be at least a couple beers in. Yeah. That's that's definitely true. Right. I mean, you just don't want to ruin it for yourself like that, right? Yeah. I mean, I guess you could go in sober and very quickly. Yeah, that's true. Get there while you're there. And go in like, mm, this place is a little skeevy. And then by the time you leave, like, this place is great. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about some uh, gambling numbers, unless you have anything further to talk about in terms of the concerts. No. I'm just, just uh, it seems like it was a reasonably large success, so good on Atlantic City and, and Live Nation and, you know, all the people that went into doing this. Yeah, and we're still waiting on a third concert announcement, right? I don't think we've heard anything about that. I'm pretty sure you're wrong, because they were talking about it on uh, the AC story. Uh Let's see. Yeah, Rough, Rough, Rough Riders, Jaw Rule, Fat Joe. So DMX. Yeah. 
Yeah, so you're so definitely... I, I don't know where you got your info from. That's a lot of rap artists that were really prominent in 2000. It's going to be really big, I think. Mm. When I was in high school, all those names were very big. I haven't heard much about them since. All right, so... June data. Yeah, June data. So the June data came out um, a few days ago. And to me, looking at it, it didn't look great. Do you want to kind of do a rundown of what, what happened and then we can discuss it a little bit? Yeah, I mean, it's basically the the brick and mortar stuff was pretty stagnant. I think it was only like $5,000 apart uh, from June 2016 to June 2017, actually a little bit down. Uh, of course, there are seven casinos now and there were eight in June 2016 so the remaining casinos it was up over 10% if you if you just ignore Taj Mahal's 2016 data but still um not really a sign of growth for Atlantic City as a whole in terms of casino revenue which isn't really that surprising uh they did get a little boost thanks to uh internet gaming which has it's kind of been the story the last few months Total increase, I think, of 1.8% if you include the internet wagering. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's not it's not bad news, but it's not really the good news that you'd hope for getting into the summer. But like we've talked about, July and August are really the big months. So, and September with, uh, well, May, I think you said, right, with Memorial Day. September has yeah. Labor Day. But what do you think? Is this good, bad, neutral? Uh, for me, it doesn't look great i mean it was actually down from last year very slightly which very very slightly it, it's yeah uh so I, I don't think it looks totally great um it looks like borg and caesars were both off quite a bit from their may numbers and i looked into it a bit and i at least i know borg's number or maybe it was caesars number didn't look like you know, their drop percentage wasn't especially low or anything like that. So, um, yeah, I don't know. And it's not, like I said, it's not that necessarily it's weird that people do worse in, in June than they do in May. That seems to be the trend in Atlantic city, but I, I just don't think this looks like it was a especially great month for the casinos. So, I mean, look, it's one month of, of data. There could be some other factors that went into this that, we just haven't thought about, so I'm not concerned yet, but for me, these numbers don't look particularly great. Yeah, I mean, uh, coming off of, obviously, a lot of down down months previous years, uh, year over year, it's, it's a little less concerning, especially when you look at, I mean, Q2 as a whole, pretty stagnant, which, again, like, you'd prefer to see growth rather than stagnant, but for, you know, 2013, 14, 15 certainly those three years, it was like big, big drops every, every uh, month, year over year and every quarter mm-hmm. year over year. So just plateauing, I think is, is weirdly a, a good thing. Although I think last year, Q2, it was down only like 0.15% or something like that. Just looking at our data. Uh, so it's kind of been this stagnant level for a year now. And obviously you'd like to see it start to go up, but I have a feeling with one less casino, you're not really going to start to see it go up at all until hard rock opens or something big happens. I mean, uh, something big being hard rock. So let's talk about that a bit. Cause the way it was portrayed was that if you remove the Taj, which is open last year and it's not open now, 
you know, the city's actually doing much better. But uh, and you just said that the city will start doing better in terms of pure revenue numbers when the Hard Rock opens. But I mean, how much of it do you really think? Like adding a casino just adds X percent of revenue to the town versus adding a casino just moves revenue around from one property to the other. Uh, certainly, I think uh, they talked about this on Atlantic City Story three weeks ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, we've seen with a lot of new casinos that open, um, a lot being Rebel mostly, I guess, uh, that it just moves moves the the data around. Like it just moves the numbers around, right? So it doesn't really grow the pie. And as the casinos closed, we also got the opposite. It didn't really drop off significantly, or at least not more than it was going to probably, but that money moved around. So like when Taj closed, as we've seen, it's basically stayed stagnant. But I think, uh, as they talked about on the Atlantic City story, uh, Hard Rock is going to try to bring in a different set of gamblers. They're very Southern focused, Um, you know, a lot of casinos in Florida. So if they can bring more people up from, you know, North Carolina and south of there, which I don't know how realistic that is, but if they can get more people Southern who maybe wouldn't normally come to Atlantic City because they've got other options closer, that's going to be a big help. To me, I don't necessarily think the Southern thing is as big a, a deal as the weekday thing. Like if you can get people who are already coming to Atlantic city on weekends to add a night to their trip or to add an extra trip because there's somebody they want to see at hard rock on like a Wednesday or Thursday night, like that's a huge, huge add uh, value add to the city. So I think that's where you might see some revenue go up. I don't know how much that translates into gambling revenue, but you know, if if non-casino revenue goes up, that would be good too. But yeah, I don't know. I, I'm optimistic about Hard Rock kind of expanding the pie. I don't know if that'll come to fruition. I was optimistic about Revel expanding the pie, and that obviously did not happen at all. So <laughs> they didn't even expand their own pie, really. Yeah, <laughs> obviously couldn't stay open. But yeah, I mean, I'm interested. I'm like, I'm so optimistic and all in on Hard Rock, and I just keep thinking like, I can't wait till it opens. I just want to give them all my play, which I know I won't do because I won't be able to get a room there to save my life because you know that's where people are gonna want to go. <laughs> Uh, well, I say that, and again, I said, probably said the same thing about Revel, and look what happened there. <laughs> uh, I don't know. What do you think? Do you think we're just shuffling the, the money around, or do you think there's a chance here to grow the, the market? I mean, there's probably a little bit of both. I mean, I'd say the majority of it is just moving money around, but there certainly is opportunities for people to come in and actually grow the market, and I think there's some point that Atlantic City could possibly get past where it just starts becoming a bit more of a tourist destination than it is now. But, you know, this is something we've talked about in tons of previous episodes that, you know, I don't think the conditions are quite right for that yet between it being a bit of a hard place to get to via airplane and just some of the other stuff going on in the town. I will say just generally one more thing on the numbers. It's just weird. So we have like all of Q2, at least the revenue numbers that the profitability report isn't out yet. But if you look at the last three years, 2015, 2016, 2017, uh, Q1 has, has gone up pretty dramatically each year or, you know, it's gone up, let's say $10 million each year is like $8 million from 2015 to 2016 and then $20 million from 2016 to 2017. So it's gone up over $25 million in revenue from 2015 to 2017. Uh, if you look at Q2, it's been totally flat the last three years. Gone yeah, that's from, really weird. 
it, it's just it's strange, right? And it's like, why why does it look like the casinos are doing so much better in Q1 and nothing's happening in Q2? Is it just random, or is it something like the casinos are doing a better job of getting people in during the off season? Or yeah, I mean, it could be that people. You know, the prices do start to go up in the spring. It's not, I mean, obviously the big spring right. is the summer, but maybe it's that just free rooms are abundant in January and February, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, it could be that, like, I mean, for us, we used to, and probably still do, make an extra trip early in the year because we want to go when there are free rooms. It's so easy to go on a weekend and do an overnight trip, whereas, you know, in the summer we're talking about doing you know we did a sunday night we're talking about doing thursday nights those are tougher trips to make you know if we can go on a saturday night in january like to us it's not like we're going out on the beach and and sunbathing and going in the ocean right (laughs) so it doesn't really make that much of a difference to us whether it's uh july or january but yeah i I don't know i don't know how much of it has to do with with that i don't i mean obviously you wouldn't think there's a whole lot of stuff on the calendar in january february march that would draw people other than just cheap rooms. Yeah. I mean, but like I said, maybe it's something the casinos are doing. They're, they're just doing a better job of getting players. And then something we've talked about is uh, like junkets were way up on a pre or were up. I don't know about way up on a previous episode. So, so maybe it is just uh, part of that. And you know, when it gets a bit busier, the casinos aren't as incentivized to try to bring in extra players because they fill up every night anyway, basically. Yeah. So, I mean, it could um, be that the, that there's, their acquisition or whatever is higher, right? They're spending more to mm-hmm. bring more people in. And then the balancing act is that they don't feel they need to spend as much in the spring. To, so they, you know, it could be that they're not necessarily really making much more money, even though the revenue is higher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't really know. It's, it's something I just brought up because I thought it was interesting, but I don't have the answer for what's causing it. It's just, Oh, it's, more... it's definitely weird. Yeah, it's just it's just one of those things that it's mighty strange. I mean, if you even look at at Q1 to Q2 this year, it, they're I mean, they're $25 million different, but that's much less than previous years where where it tended to be closer to $50 million different. So, I don't know, it's just one of those things that's strange. Yeah, agreed. Very strange. Um while we're on the subject of just talking about comps and stuff and, you know, how it's we tend to take an extra trip in, in the winter or spring as compared to the summer. I mean, just something that's happened to me that I, I don't remember happening in previous years, especially though perhaps it was like that. And I just don't remember is like, it's very hard for even me to get comps now in July and August. I have comps at one property, I think right now and it's Tropicana. Wow. I, I don't even get TR comps really. I mean, I get the occasional one, but even you mean even weekdays? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I get I get some like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday here and there at Total Rewards. Uh, I'm getting nothing anywhere else. Like, just nothing. So, yeah. kind of disappointing. That's why I got to put all my play into Hard Rock when it opens. Right. And, you know, when we went before my first son was born, we went in August. And I got, I mean, I know that we went on a weekend. We went Friday, Saturday. And yeah. I got comps at Harrods at Waterfront. So... I don't know. I mean, I, I certainly haven't gone as much since my son was born as compared to before. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It just seems to me like my perception is that my gambling hasn't changed that much and my comps are much worse now, which 
would seem to be a good sign for the city, I think. But yeah, I guess I'm gambling more and my comps are worse. <laughs> I mean, I've, I'm still, I'm probably at such a like beginner level that you've got to get over some hump mm-hmm. right, to, to get, to really see a change. But yeah, I agree. I think, and I, I mean, part of that has to be Taj had whatever, 2000 rooms or something, right? So you remove those rooms especially peak season, there's going to be a scramble. And even with Taj open Mm -hmm. last summer, the occupancy rate was very, very high. I think on weekends, it's like over 90%. So I mean, it may have been over 90%. I can't imagine it was over 90% for the entire week, but you know, certainly very high, lots of sellouts, um, fully booked hotels on the weekends. So you take out one of those hotels in the, in the peak season and it's just going to be hard to come by those rooms. So it'll be, that'll be another thing that'll be interesting to see when, uh, when hard rock opens, especially if revel then also opens, cause that's going to be a, a big influx in rooms. Um, that's actually a nice segue into our next story. If you yeah, know. I was going to, I was going <laughs> to try to make that segue myself. So since we're talking about, uh, trying to add some, some rooms to, the city. Uh, we talked on a previous episode about how Chelsea had been bought by Carl Icahn, and we were wondering what he was going to do with it. So it, it turns out he is actually going to reopen the Chelsea as a, another hotel tower at Tropicana with a uh, skywalk to connect the hotel to the casino. Um, I know it's something that was talked a bit about on the Facebook group and, and people saying, uh, what, what is the bad part of the Chelsea called? The Annex? Yeah, the Annex. So bad that you'll know if you are their least preferred gambler, if they put you in the annex or not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that was Justin in the Facebook group. Definitely true. Right. And it was a little unclear whether the annex would be included in this. It certainly seems like it is. Uh, I don't know if they're going to pump any money into that because it's in pretty bad shape. I think they did mention that, you know, some of the, some of the hotel, and I think it was implied that that's the annex, although I don't think they came right out and said it, uh, needs some work. But it does add some rooms. Obviously, it doesn't really add to the total room crop because these rooms were there last summer, right? So it's kind of getting those rooms back. Uh, Route 40 uh, also called this when they first mentioned it, just sort of positing that this was the most likely outcome since Icon owned the trap and this is right across the street, that it would make a lot of sense to bring this into the trap family. But... Uh, yeah, uh, Tropicana now have twenty seven hundred rooms, which is a ton. <laughs> you know, it's it's a big property. It's and it it seems to do really really well even off peak on weekends. It seems to be really crowded and and the um, rooms seem to be pretty full even off peak. So adding rooms probably not a bad idea. I'm not sure how I'd feel about being across the street in the Chelsea if I was staying at at the, the trap. I don't think it's quite as bad as being in the Claridge tower when you were at Bally's. And that's probably even closer to the casino floor than Chelsea is to trap's casino floor. But I don't know. What do you think? Would you, you've been in every tower. I feel like in trap, <laughs> what would you think about ending up in, in the Chelsea tower? Um, I don't know. I think it's one of those things that I'd like to wait and see. I've never stayed at the Chelsea. So, you know, I don't have too many opinions about it. Uh, what, um, so you, you mentioned the room count of Tropicana. Do you know how many rooms the other casino hotels in Atlantic city have and, and where it stacks up? It's gotta be the most, I would think, but with 2,700, 
I mean, yeah. I would think the only competition. Would I mean, be... maybe Borgata with Water Club and and the Borgata, but yeah, and I'm that might be. I, I don't know if I can do that so quickly here. I mean, Borgata I think has two thousand rooms, but I don't know if that includes Water Club. I would guess it does. I so, would guess. Um, but I'm not sure. Yeah, and I think you know two thousand. I think uh, Taj was right around two thousand also. So you're. T- Right. Those are both just gigantic properties. Harris, I think, also has a lot of rooms. Harris would have a lot, yeah. So this has got the old tower and the new tower. Yeah, but I think Trop has to be the most, right? I mean, that's gigantic. <laughs> I, I would think so as well, but these are things that if we had thought I'm not about, sure off the top of my if head. we thought about ahead of time, uh, we would <laughs> looked up Trop according to Wikipedia twenty five eighty eight. So this would, I mean, Harris twenty five eighty eight. So this would put Trop ahead of Harris. Uh-huh. Um, and I'm going to guess that that's the biggest. I can't imagine there's anything else bigger than Harris at, in Atlantic City. It would be hard for me to imagine as well. Yeah. All right. You want to go ahead and take the next one? Sure. Uh, so I'll link to the story about that, which is a Nicholas Huba article in the Press of Atlantic City. And just a quick note about Nicholas Huba is that he is on the latest episode of Cousin Vito's Casino talking about the Trump Taj Mahal sale, the the whatever they call it liquidation sale where they sold all the bed frames and mattresses and other weird stuff that you could buy with Taj Mahal logos on it. Uh, He also talked a little bit about hard rock and what they might bring in and just generally the state of AC. So it was a, it was a good interview. I definitely recommend checking it out. I'll put the link to the episode in the show notes. Uh, I expect a lot of you already listened to cousin Vito's casino. So you may have already heard it, but uh, it's a two-parter, so only part one is up now in his episode 50, so congrats to him on 50 episodes. Uh, so cool to hear about Atlantic City in another podcast. Indeed. Should we talk about the big story? <laughs> the big story for us? Yeah, because we... it's going to be fun to, to, to talk about this, even though nothing's going to come of it. Uh-huh. All right, go ahead. Uh, so out of nowhere last week, uh, the press of Atlantic City reported uh, in an article by Nicholas Huba and fellow University of Maryland Journalism School grad Aaron Serpico that a New York firm said that they had a that they were submitting a 220 million dollar offer to Glenn Straub for the purchase of Revel so this is a private equity firm based in New York City and there was not much other information, just that it was made in the last 10 days as of July 13th, which is last Thursday. And Glenn Straub played coy, which he does. He said he hasn't heard anything about any offers. Uh, you have to keep in mind this is the same person who um, said that he had not heard of the guy running the firm who ended up being the head of 10. <laughs> uh, and then within days, it was announced that that group was actually going to run the casino at right. 10. So clearly Glenn Straub likes to play dumb when asked questions. So I wouldn't put too much stock into that at all. He said he'd never heard of him, but again, like I said, uh, this mm-hmm. is not the first time he's done that. So do you think he should take the $220 million offer, Kyle? Well, I, I think for one thing first, at, at least when I was hearing about it, it, it had not come out yet. Uh, this was in the Facebook group. Nicholas Hubo was talking about it. It hadn't come out yet whether or not that includes the power plant or not. I would have to imagine it does. It's impossible for me to imagine someone buying the Rebel without buying the power plant, too. So I'm going to assume it does. 
it it would be preposterous if someone wanted to put themselves in the same situation that that Glenstrom found himself in originally when he had the rebel. Yeah, I mean the reason he got the place for eighty, whatever two million dollars was because, because of the yeah. horrible power plant situation. Yes, yeah, it has to. I I won't and, even consider you know, an alternative. <laughs> perhaps he had hoped that he could run extension cords between the showboat and the rebel, but <laughs> yeah, he found quick out quickly that that was not a possibility. Right, so. Um, so assuming it is both, I, I don't think he should for me that that sounds like a, a lot lower of an offer than he could get, you know, given that for all the work that, uh, the hard rock is, is putting into the old Taj property, what $500 million total, right, Craig, at least. Yep. Yeah. That's not just the purchase price. I think that's just renovation budget okay and it would remind me again of what the, the 50, purchase price 50 was. million 50. On the purchase price. so whatever two and a half times this uh-huh. amount <laughs> right uh yeah i mean do you have anything else to i mean obviously you're laying out no, your case against I, it I, so i just think that you get can get for you know uh, well maybe half of the total cost that the hard rock or less than half of the total cost you have a casino that's pretty much you know complete in terms of you know, you don't need to really do the work as far as we know, you know, assuming the air conditioning is working, there's not mold problems in the rebel, which is, we haven't heard anything about there being those things. Um, you know, you have a casino and a hotel that's, that should be pretty much ready to go that you're not going to have to do major renovations to that, that, you know, maybe it's not exactly turnkey, but it's as close as you're going to get that if you want to open up kind of a higher class casino hotel, you can just go in and buy it and do it. Uh, I think I think two twenty is low. I think he can he can get three hundred for it. I would think, but I, I don't know. Those are just numbers that came out of my head that make sense to me. So I, I think you're on the opposite side of me uh, on this. So go ahead and, uh, and pitch your side. So I I tweeted when this came out. Take the money and run. Um, because so he purchased it for eighty two million dollars. Spent thirty million dollars to bring the energy company in. The value was it, was it thirty? I thought it was like twenty five in cash, and he assumed twenty five in debt or something like that. I thought it was more like fifty. The old article I found said thirty, but you may be right that it may be there was also some debt mm-hmm. stuff involved. There, okay, sure. And it was unclear in the article I read, so I don't. I'll, but you know, obviously, he sunk a bunch of money into the thing since then, just in terms of you know yes. costs of running this hotel, paying taxes, or or not paying taxes, as it turns out, but you know. And I think at some point, very early on in the process, early in 2015, he said he had already sunk over $10 million into it on top of the purchase price. So clearly he's put money in. I wouldn't be surprised if he's close to $200 million just as a wild guess. So this is not a big, big gain for him. <laughs> Building up ropes courses, tearing down ropes courses. <laughs> yeah, that stuff costs money. <laughs> yeah. um, so, I mean, as much as the, the big thing that this said to me is, wow, I really realize now how much I want him to sell because... When I saw this offer, I was like, well, he's only paid 112 He has to take it. But when you really think about it, like, it doesn't make any sense for him to take it. Uh, I want him to take it because I want him out because he's just not doing anything with it. And I just see no scenario anymore where he's the one who opens it, especially if he's going to be so difficult on the casino license thing. Because he's just mm-hmm. – they're not going to let him open it without a casino license. Correct. So I want him to sell it. This is not the offer that's going to get it done. And And the thing that really made that obvious to me – is that you know if if it could be had for 220 million dollars we would be talking about 
what the hard rock's going to do with Revel, not I mean, what the hard rock's going to do with Touch. That's got to be it, right? I mean, that for me, that's that's the base baseline. If if Hard Rock could have bought Revel for two hundred and fifty million dollars, it would have made a million times more sense than buying Taj for fifty million dollars. I think. Yeah, and, and and you have to remember when Hard Rock came in, they announced three hundred million dollars purchase plus renovation price so that was mm-hmm. what they were willing to invest or that i mean obviously they're willing to invest 500 but that was the number that they had in mind going in and so you have to think if they could have had revel for less than that with the energy company brand new casino would have needed very little rebranding i think to to be mm-hmm. a hard rock uh, i mean it would have cost some money to hard rockify it but sure but not, not as much that, as not you wouldn't have to renovate the whole thing yeah you wouldn't have to detodge the whole thing you wouldn't right. have to totally defeme the whole thing tear uh, down all the minarets and everything yeah and i mean as we've seen with with the rooms i mean they're gonna have to do a ton of stuff with the rooms who knows what they're gonna do with the the exterior that's not totally tajified i can't imagine they're gonna leave the old tower looking the way it looks right now mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, all that they must have known, and and we knew that they had kicked the tires on Revel and came away obviously thinking Taj was what they wanted to go with. Um, and they've said the, all the right things about oh, that's the building they actually wanted and all that stuff. But I have to think if they could have had it for for two fifty, and especially if they could have had it for two twenty, it, it would be Hard Rock right now. I would tend to agree. I mean, and of course, we don't we don't know what what their things they were looking for in a property were, but. But for me, yeah, I think 220, I mean, the second I saw that, which I mentioned in the Facebook group, I was not in the country last week. I was overseas on a work trip. But I'm just like, that's not enough. If I were Glenn Straub, I would never sell for 220. Because I think that, you know, if if nothing else, and I think we talked about this in episode one, that I think I said that I knew he was crazy. But the question was whether or not he's crazy like a fox or just generally crazy. And And I tend to think that, he is, if nothing else, a savvy businessman and is going to try to make the best deal he can. And to me, 220 does not seem like the best deal he can make. Yeah, and we've said this over and over again. Like Whether or not he ever does anything with this casino, the value he's added by getting the power company into one organization with the casino is right. worth a ton. Um, what I'm hoping is that 220 is a starting point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right and i that, agree with that it could it could be that that's just the opening bid and and it goes up from there and then becomes a number that is more reasonable to sell and like i said for me that number is somewhere closer to the 300 range yeah i mean my concern is strab is looking at taj and saying 500 million that's the price like we now see that somebody is willing to come in and invest 500 million dollars to make a premier property in atlantic city if, so if you want to do that, you're going to have to pay maybe not $500 million, but in the 400s, because this is not going to take $100 million renovation. I don't know how mm-hmm. much it costs to like route an elevator to the casino floor and, and maybe <laughs> do something about those escalators. Maybe it's a lot. Probably more, it's more than that, maybe. <laughs> I don't know if it's $100 million bucks, but mm-hmm. it could it could be expensive. So I, wouldn't be, I expect he's got a number way higher than we realize in his head, but we'll see where it goes from here. Obviously, this came out of nowhere. Who knows if anybody else is kicking the tires? Random question. I don't know if you've thought about this at all, but if if you could have a dream company purchasing the Revel, who would it be? Purchasing to run a casino. Who do you want running that casino? I, I had not thought about that at all. 
not even a little bit. I mean, so I mean, for okay, yeah, you go ahead, do yours quickly. Just some of the players, just to give you some thought. You know, when I don't think that's happening, but you know, uh, that that wouldn't happen. I don't uh, MGM Caesars are two of the big players. Joint joint project, Kyle. Uh, mm-hmm. Boyd obviously just got bought out of town. Um, Mohegan having you love what they've pain. done with resorts. Sure. Uh, <laughs> Foxwoods generally getting in. You know, I think the tribal gaming makes yeah, sense. Well, but uh, so I, I'm going to kind of disagree with you there. I, I think if I, I could have like my choice of like who I want to come into town and start running things, I, I'd say someone like Derek would would be better. Someone who is not one of these huge casino companies who by all accounts seems to really enjoy kind of the running a casino part of running a casino and not just like the tinkering with, with, you know, how much alcohol to pour in a drink and what the parking price should be. And, you know, the stuff to, to just maximize every last penny out of the profit and just like new blood, because, you know, my big complaint about Atlantic city is that, all of the casinos are owned by fairly large casino companies already, or you know, the drop, which is owned by Carl Icahn, who doesn't necessarily run a large casino company, but knows something about making money. Um, so I think maybe just having maybe a smaller operator with a lot of who, who has experience in running a casino, but isn't MGM Sands, Caesars win, whatever would would be kind of my preferred buyer even like you said someone like boyd would be fine yeah i just don't i just don't think somebody like well certainly Derek stevens um and his brother they're not going to buy the buy revel i don't think you know if they're if they're no, i don't i don't think so either that's I'm, not what they do they buy kind of more distressed properties and, right like they're coming in and buying atlantic club if they're right. if they're buying and some and i don't yeah. mean they specifically but it, someone like them who's into that sort of market they're looking to buy something very cheap and get in, which would have been Revel two years ago when it got sold. But, uh, I mean, which should really tell you the state of Atlantic City two years ago, the fact that it did only go for $82 million. Um, and now we're talking about 300 and beyond. So that's a good thing. I mean, if nothing else, that's very positive. But, yeah, I mean, the, th- the names that I came up with, certainly Mohegan, um, in that they run a casino that some people consider one of the best casinos in the country and <laughs> one of the best casino properties in the country in Mohegan Sun in Connecticut. They've been doing some expanding. There's some Mohegan Sun in Pennsylvania. That being said, I don't know how much sense it makes, especially since they run the casino resorts. Like, do they really want to get into a market where there's so much consolidated competition so close to them like a lot of these companies, what they're doing is putting their money, and even Win, mostly outside of Vegas, is putting his money into areas where you're going to have not a lot of competition within 30 or 40 miles. So to come into Atlantic City, where there's seven, going to be eight casinos, all within, you know, mostly within walking distance, and a few that are a five minute cab ride away, like that's a tougher nut to crack, I think. So. Who knows? I mean, obviously, we have no idea who it was. It's probably none of those. It's probably some random company who right. is interested in getting to the market. No, but... it was. It was a. I think it was just a private equity firm from New York or something. I don't right, but think it was. Isn't it possible that they're like acting, like submitting the offer on behalf of some group? I don't think so. 
I mean, I don't know how any of that works. I have an MBA, yeah. but I don't know how any of that works. <laughs> I mean, it's probably just that they looked at it and said this number makes sense for this building. I mean, look, it, it's possible maybe they're acting more as like a not an intermediary, but as an, an agent for someone else. But I, I doubt it. I think it was probably just for themselves. And certainly, we haven't seen it as much in Atlantic City, but you know, during the recession, we certainly saw a lot of private equity firms running large casinos in Vegas. Yeah. I mean, yeah, some casinos, as far as I know, like Cosmo has been run by basically only by private equity firm. I mean, basically all of the non MGM Caesars properties in Vegas were run by private equity firms at some point in the last 10 years. I mean, even isn't Brookfield a big private equity firm, basically, like mm-hmm. they just happen to run Nard Rock Vegas. And, right. Yeah. Uh, anyways, should we move on to resorts? Speaking, sure. speaking of Mohegan, here's, there's your, there's your segue. It's a terrible one, but. Uh, mm. Do you want to intro this daily fantasy thing? Well, just just maybe one more thing. You know, maybe something else to back it up is, by all accounts, like one of the success stories in Atlantic City the last few years, just to kind of back up my, what I was saying was getting a kind of a small guy with some experience in the business, but not really. One of the big success stories in Atlantic City, I think, is is Golden Nugget and, and Tillman Fertitta, who kind of fits all of the stuff that I was talking about. Sure. Um, I, I don't you know, obviously he has some experience in Las Vegas and his cousins also have experience running casinos in Las Vegas. Um, and just the nugget seems to be widely respected as, you know, a casino is really turning around. Their numbers certainly back it up. It's gone up just tons and tons in the last several years in terms of revenue. So I, I just think someone similar to that mold could, could be good for, for revel. But like you said, I mean, people of that mold, they're looking to buy golden nuggets and not looking to buy revels. Yeah, I mean, I think that I've said for a long time, I think AC casinos need to look more toward downtown as the model. Mm-hmm. But I don't think, you know, when you're Caesars or MGM, I don't think you can. <laughs> you know, like, like you can't, like Derek Stevens is out in the casino at the D most right, nights, at the bar, shaking right. hands with people and making people feel very welcome. That's not something that, that, Caesars can do because, like, do you know who the regional vice president of Atlantic City Casinos is? I would have no idea. Like, he could be wearing a shirt that says, I am the regional vice president of Atlantic City Casinos for Caesars, and I would still be like, mm, I don't know. Never seen him before, never heard of him. So, that uh, that's a tougher thing to do if you're a bigger company, smaller company, certainly, like, you know, Tillman Fertita, he's on a show, you know, people recognize him. He's sort of the face of the company. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think maybe resorts could do something like that, although they haven't put their CEO really. I mean, he gives a lot of quotes to the media, but you know, they yeah, he's, really... he he gets interviewed quite a bit by the media. Mark Giantonio, or I think I'm yeah. missing a syllable in there somewhere. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever pronounced his name right, but yeah, I mean, he's definitely out there in the media, but he's not, you know, as public a figure as as Tillman Fertitta, clearly, but, right? Uh, yeah, mean, I mean, that's not, you don't want to go to the Borgata and just shake Jim Murren's hand. No, not really. I mean, it'd be the cool. With a sure. Mark I mean, for he, Sora at Caesars. He does not seem like the person that you want to sit at a bar with, Jim Murray. Carl like Icahn? That. Come on. No, none of this. I don't really. <laughs> I mean, I would. It would be a cool experience, but I don't think I would have very good. Have very much would to say. Would it be a cool experience? People. I don't think it would be that interesting. Oh, but I'd be able to tell everybody that I had a drink with Carl Icahn. Yeah. The actual, in the act, it would be terrible, but afterwards, I would have a story to tell. Uh, but you know, anyway, I, I mean, it shouldn't be surprising. I think to hear someone like me 
say that, you know, I really would like someone who really enjoys the casinos part to, to run this rather than just a, a profiteer. So since I don't we know. are people who really like the casino part. Right, exactly. Basically and, we want somebody who reflects our values. Someone correct. like say us. Yes. To be, to be running the casino. Um, uh, I don't want to run the rebel, but no, I don't. I want someone to do a competent job and run the Rebel so yeah. I can enjoy it. Exactly. I don't want to run any casino. Yeah. I want, yeah, I want someone very competent and very interested in the values that we hold near and dear <laughs> here at Do For A Win, the Atlantic City and Casino Biz Podcast. That's right. So uh, anyway, okay. let's let's move on. So um, this is definitely a story that you have been much more up on than me, but Resorts has launched a daily fantasy sports site, fastpick.com. So why don't you kind of go through what, what this is? Cause it doesn't sound like a normal daily fantasy site. No, this is very new. Uh, Wayne Perry from the Associated Press posted this in our Facebook group today. Uh, and it, I was very confused about it at first because as I was reading about it, I was like, this doesn't sound like draft, pit, uh, whatever draft Kings or fan duel, which are the standard daily fantasy sports sites. Uh, and actually, as I read more about it, I was like, oh, this is pretty straightforward. So here's the deal. Let me see if I can explain it in a way that makes sense. Uh, fastpick.com, run by resorts. You have to be in New Jersey to play, um, like physically in New Jersey, just like the other online casinos. Basically creates a bunch of toss-up matchups between big-name players in various sports. Uh, I think right now it's baseball, will be football once football season starts. Uh, I think they're talking about NBA and Premier League. No hockey for you hockey fans. Um, and they're going to, so they'll create a bunch of basically toss up matchups between big name players. These people are not going to be facing each other that day in real life. So they are only facing each other virtually based on fantasy points. And you choose uh, one of the two players in three to 10 of those matchups. So maximum of 10, minimum of three. You have to bet at least $5. I think there's a maximum payout of, I can't remember if it was 10000 or $100,000. Um, so that will affect how m- the maximum you can bet because uh, the payouts are much bigger if you win all of your matchups. And that's kind of the rub. It is a parlay bet completely. You have to win them all to get paid out. The more picks you make, the higher the payout. So you can bet $5 and pick 10 people, but you're going to be pretty unlikely to win. You can bet $5 and pick three people, and you're probably still pretty unlikely to win, but you have a much better chance than if you pick six or eight or 10. Uh, if any of your picks lose, you lose. It's it's a parlay bet. So it's pretty straightforward, um, except that if you're not familiar with fantasy scoring where you know, a throwing touchdown is worth four points and a running touchdown is worth six points and yards, 10, whatever, 20 yards per point and all that stuff. You might find this a little confusing, uh, but it's based on that. That's how they're going to compare players and decide whether or not you won your pick or not. Really, the only similarity with daily fantasy sites is the fantasy point scoring system. Otherwise, you know, DraftKings and FanDuel, you can pick from the entire range of players who are playing that day and you have some sort of budget, you're playing against other players, you're trying to come in some high percentile. This is totally just you head-to-head against the casino. And by the casino, I mean head-to-head against the picks that you did not pick. Uh, It's online right now, available right now. Resorts hopes to add kiosks in the casino in time for NFL season. Uh, Again, you have to be located in New Jersey to place a bet online. You don't have to be from New Jersey. Uh, So does that make sense? Did I explain that? in a way that makes some sense. 
Yeah, it it makes some sense to me. And just, you know, I I can't, I I don't know enough about it to explain exactly why they made all these decisions. The fact that it's a parlay like this doesn't surprise me, given what I know about the national kind of sports betting rules. Like, I know in Delaware you are allowed to make sports wagers, but I believe that you can't just bet on a game. Like, everything has to be a parlay there, I believe. That's my understanding also. So I suspect there's something about specifically parlays that makes it kosher as compared to where if it was just like pick one of these two and bet on it, it might not be. Um, Yeah, and I I expect it's their way to have it just be against the house, but also be sort of sports gambling in a way. Because I think think if they had just gone totally daily fantasy sports, that would have been fine. And probably they could have even done that. Right, but you didn't have why, to be why in would Jersey. you need to? Yeah, right. right, exactly, exactly. So, so here's my question. First question: uh, Is this more enticing to you, this sort of parlay setup, than a DraftKings or FanDuel setup where you're playing against other players? Um, maybe. I mean, it depends. I'd have to really think about it. I mean, it's uh, daily fantasy sports is something I've looked into in the past. It's not something that I've ever done. Um, I've played. I've deposited. There, there was a time in my life that I had pulled down like a huge database of, of baseball players, and I was going to build a system basically to look at this and try to, you know, kind of predict which players would do better in any given game. But a, it was going to be a ton of work, and b, it was you know we were. I think that was while my wife was pregnant, and I didn't know how excited she would be to have a large outflow of money while I was learning the system and everything, and trying to tweak it. Um, so it ended up not being something that, that I ended up doing. So it's something that's definitely interesting to me, but you know, uh, I, I think right now when you're playing against, uh, like, you know, DraftKings or FanDuel, you're playing against people who have done what I was thinking of doing a few years ago and setting up like very advanced computer systems to make these predictions. I mean, you're basically just only playing against ringers. Um, Whereas if you play against the house at resorts, it presumably is a more fair bet for you. You actually have a more reasonable chance of winning. Um, so I, I would say it's probably better to play against resorts, though I suspect the house edge is, is probably pretty large. I mean, just in, in parlays, it always tends to be pretty big. That's why the house likes them in general. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it, to me, it just makes more sense in my head than than daily fantasy sports i have i deposited into fanduel because there was some matching bonus i still have money in fanduel i deposited maybe two years ago and i still have money in it which should because i and i've never won anything because i just got it was boring and i decided i didn't like it it's not fun part of the problem i have with fanduel and DraftKings is that there's no variety to the games at all it's just like okay pick all the baseball players on this game or you can pick only national league or you can play a game where it's 50 50 and half the players win their bet back or you know whatever one to one and half the players lose like there's no variety in the games like it would be more interesting to me if you were say if you were like okay well i'm this game i'm only focusing on these stat categories like i want to pick who's gonna i have to pick a lineup that's gonna hit the most home runs tonight 
But it's none of that. It's all this, the same scoring system, same scoring system, but just different tweaks on that, and that's no fun. The parlay thing is actually more fun to me because it's like, oh, here's two players. Who do you think is going to do better out of these two players? And so it's easier for me to wrap my simple non-algorithm brain around of mm-hmm. saying like, well, I know that this person's playing against this pitcher. I can, I have some idea of how this pitcher's done recently, and I've had some idea of how this hitter's done recently. So I'm just going to go on my own data and my hunches and, and play these three people, which is much easier to me than picking a whole team and hoping it beats 80% of, of the people out there playing on FanDuel. So that's more exciting to me. I'm actually, I'm seriously thinking about depositing in this and, and trying it out and seeing how it goes. So if I do that, I'll definitely report back. I mean, yeah, I mean five bucks it, a game, whatever, that's not very yeah, high risk. You've, you've sold me on it. I, I think this does sound a lot better than, than FanDuel. Uh, but for me, basically, it's it's like I said. I mean, if you're on DraftKings or FanDuel, you're you're playing against killers only, basically. I mean, you're playing against the best of the best all the time and, and all of your stuff. And, you know, certainly it's possible that you win, but I just think it's it's very, very unlikely. Yeah, I mean, I would have games where in FanDuel is like I'd have multiple players who just crushed in a game. Um, I think I was playing mostly baseball. But and I would think, like, how is it possible that I'm only in the 20th percentile when I had multiple of my picks just dominate? But with all the the way that people play it, where they have so many teams in every competition, for one thing, and they've done it algorithm, algorithmically for the most likely team to output huge mm-hmm. numbers, you know, they're having everybody on their team crush. Like, the winning player is having every team on their – every player on their team win. They've figured out a game – a matchup that's most likely to have a bunch of rookies who suck playing like me. Um, so, you know, if you're just starting out, it's very, very difficult. This is just, you know, this is picks, and you hope your picks win, and that's it. So I like that. Uh, the other aspect of this is going to the kiosks at resorts, like brick-and-mortar side. Do you have any interest in going and doing this when you're in Atlantic City at the casino? I mean, I'll make a bet, but it takes three minutes. So. <laughs> I mean, if you're asking me, do I want to like bet on this and then like sit in a sports book and watch the games? No, I have no interest in doing that. So that's but I don't have any interest in making a normal sports bet in Las Vegas and watching the games. So uh, see, that's something that I do like, but uh, we have no idea if that's going to happen here. Like, if they're going to try to create an experience around this, and I have very conflicting feelings on that. Like, on the one hand, why would you even go bother to bet at the kiosk as opposed to like on your phone? If there's no you know incentive to stay there and watch the game but on the other hand if you're making a $5 bet like is it is resorts really going to invest a bunch of money in setting up some viewing area to watch football every sunday and have people hang around for 6 hours who have only bet $10 like that probably doesn't make a whole lot of sense for them either uh but i don't know i mean i wouldn't go out of my way to do it <laughs> you know i i think if i was staying at trop or staying at borgata or whatever i wouldn't be like oh shit i need to get to resorts and get in my fast pick bets but i think if i was at resorts i would throw a bet down and yeah i live in new jersey i i'm seriously thinking about trying this thing out on some baseball i'll see if the itch gets to me and i try it out i mean at five bucks a game if you like deposit whatever 30 bucks see where it goes see if i like it or not cool yeah yeah so since we're talking about sports gambling, do we want to move on and talk about more sports gambling? Yeah. So, um, you know, it's been kind of a long-standing discussion about trying to actually bring legitimate Vegas-style sports ragering to 
uh, New Jersey, and you know they actually had an opportunity to allow it before the federal or Congress passed laws restricting it to the four states, I believe, that had it prior to the restriction, which I think are Nevada, Montana, Delaware, and maybe one more, which I don't remember right now. Do you know off the top of your head? Nope. So anyway, uh, it's, it's come back up. You know, it's something that since New Jersey decided not to do a while ago, you know, they've always regretted and it's always been brought up that they might start challenging this in court. And, um, well, it sounds like they are. So do you want to talk a little bit more about this? Yeah, I mean, they've been challenging it in court for years. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, my understanding is in New Jersey, the law is basically that it's allowed. Like, there's no law on the books in New Jersey that says it's banned, but it's banned federally. So, like, there was a while back, I think we talked about even on the podcast, where it was like, Christie was like, hey, you can do this. And all the casinos were like, hmm. Let's not like nobody wants to be the first one in the, in the water on that. But uh, the this article is by John Brennan, NorthJersey.com. He's really on top of the the uh, state sports gambling thing, and he wrote a really good article. I thought about sort of the what it means that this is now going to be heard by the Supreme Court of the United States. Uh, basically, seventy percent of cases that have made it all the way to the Supreme Court in the last five years have been reversed. So that is a very good sign uh, for New Jersey in this effort. Uh, leagues also seem to be backing off, and that was some really that was a really big issue for New Jersey when they first pushed for this. Is that you know I think they had uh, a hockey college hockey tournament there every year. One of the ba- smaller basketball conferences had their tournament at Boardwalk Hall every year. And NCAA was like, "We're yanking all this stuff if you push this." And Christie was like, "I don't care. I'm going to push it." They did yank those tournaments from Boardwalk Hall. Uh, the leagues have kind of backed off their stances on this, be- uh, largely I think because of daily fantasy sports. I think MLB and maybe even other leagues actually own a stake in in one of the two or both of the FanDuel and, and DraftKings. So they're kind of backing off the sports betting. Uh, so we'll see where this goes as far as the Supreme Court. It seems favorable for Atlantic City. Obviously, it's, it's you can never really tell where the Supreme Court is going to go. Um, I don't know if you have any sense on whether you think this is going to – whether you think New Jersey is going to win or not. I have my own opinion, but what do you think? I mean, I don't really have much of an opinion other than I, I take slight umbrage with, with the fact that the, the you saying that most of the cases that have gone to the Supreme Court have been overturned and that being a good sign. I mean, I think that certainly that is true, but I, I think there's a couple different levels of cases. I mean, I think there's stuff that they take up because they know that they don't really like the law as is on the books. And then there are some that they take up because it's just something that they haven't seen before or is somehow interesting to them. And I don't know if we have any sense of whether this is kind of the former or the latter. So I don't know if you should be super optimistic though. What is your take? Are are you optimistic on this? Yeah, I'm pretty optimistic just because I think, this is one of those things where it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for it to be a federal law, especially with gambling expanding so quickly, <laughs> right? In in across the country in various states, uh, and also I I think that the leagues that have pressured this for a long time have lost all their moral high ground. Like they have supported daily fantasy, they, you know, there are 
state lottery ads constantly on all sports games. Like, I just think that this is a tough sell if that's the opposition. Um, so I don't know. I, I think that it's a good, there's a good chance that, that they win it. I'm optimistic. I don't, I, I'm no, I wouldn't say I'm confident, but I'm pretty optimistic. Mm. And the ruling is expected in the first half of 2018. So we're still, you know, as much as a year away. <laughs> so this may not be anytime terribly soon. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there's certainly hurdles. I think, uh, John Brennan says it's unusual. It's an unusual measure. So again, like you said, sort of talking about it in terms of the 70% number is not really, uh, right to necessarily assume that. Um, right. I mean, and I will say just, it is weird that there's this federal law that's like, X is allowed in these four states in Oregon. I, I looked it up. Oregon's the fourth state. So Montana, Delaware, Nevada, and Oregon. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, I just, I haven't really been, been following it along super closely. I don't, I don't know what, I mean, as far as I know, it's been struck. I mean, it's been ruled constitutional at every level before the Supreme court. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. It's so to like no, level, nobody yeah. has ever sided with New Jersey yet. Uh, yeah, I don't think so. So uh, I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't say it's seventy percent likely that it would pa- that it would be ruled unconstitutional and they could do sports betting. Though, um, I I don't really know. I mean, I'm not a lawyer, so yeah, I can't really speak about the legal merits of the case or not. So the other side of that is, how big would it be if it was legalized? How helpful is it for AC? It'd be helpful. I mean, I I think. Um, among the more hardcore gamblers who visit Vegas and as opposed to kind of the touristy people who just want to walk around and see everything. I mean, I think sports betting is an important part of the equation and what draws them there. And I think if you could do March Madness or whatever in Atlantic city and have sports betting, I think that'd be a big deal. It'd be a huge gift for the city. Yeah. And I think a lot of people have said, Oh well, you know, in Vegas, the sports there was a while where sports books were closing, and they've all consolidated into a couple companies. William Hill, I think there's one other I can't remember the name of. Um, mm. Search of the sea. <laughs> uh, so the you know there are a couple companies now that run basically all the sports books. It's not a big revenue driver at all. Uh, I think Doctor Dave even said that when he was on our on last time he was on the show. Uh, but for Atlantic City. It's so much more gambling focused, right? Like Vegas, only 30% of their revenue is gambling revenue. Atlantic City is like the reverse of that where it's more like 70%. Uh, and I just think you're going to get a bunch of people who are in New York, Philly, D.C., Baltimore, like all these cities who are close who would love to put a legal bet on sports and come down and sit and watch football with some bets on games and, and various side bets and uh, whatever they're called um, parlays and, and all the weird stuff that you can do. Uh, and it'll draw them to the city. The other side of that is if this gets reversed, like how quickly are Pennsylvania and Maryland and other States who have legalized gambling, who are surrounding Atlantic city and have put such a hurting on Atlantic city's revenue going to follow suit and just instantly almost negate the advantage that this would create. I think that it would still be a pretty big advantage for Atlantic City because, like I said, it's more about 
you know, yes, if you're just someone who enjoys sports betting and they do this and let's say like whatever other state, Maryland, let's say, cause it's where I live passes a law, you know, you're not going to go to Atlantic city to just make a sports bet because you'll go to Maryland live or horseshoe or, or national Harbor to, to do it. Um, but I, I think it, it still would be big for Atlantic city simply because it would just raise its, like how it looks as a tourist destination that little bit to people who really like making sports bets and were thinking of going to a resort town or a gambling destination anyway. Um, something else like what I understand has happened is that, you know, a bunch of States uh, have passed at least preliminary bills that would allow sports betting, including Maryland, if it does get overturned by the, by the Supreme court, so I think it would be pretty quick that these other states would actually allow sports betting. Yeah, I mean, to me, I, I think that... I mean, and here's the thing. It, it already does exist in Delaware. Yeah, in weird parlays. Yeah, I mean, true enough. But um, I, I don't know. I, I think it would be a big deal for New Jersey, regardless of whether you know Pennsylvania, Maryland, etc. passed a sports betting law or not. But, I mean, it wouldn't be, like, the thing that saves Atlantic City by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, I expect it's something I, – I would think it's probably bigger than online gambling. But I think it's probably similar in that mm. – I think long-term online gambling is going to be bigger. But I've, everybody had this idea that online gambling is going to be instantly making, you know, million, millions upon millions, <laughs> hundreds of million dollars a year or whatever. Well, it, it could if, if they expand it to the entire country. Sure, but I like Christy was kicking around numbers that were just totally insane for online gambling and like instantly. Well, of course, uh, and it's probably the same. It's probably you know it, it would be good for the city. It would be a nice bump, but it's not going to be whoever is really supporting this thing. It's not going to be as much as they think it is. And you right. know, that's, I guess that's true for anything that gets into politics. You right? Know, no stadium makes as much money, of for the local <laughs> local uh, area as nothing's ever as good as the supporters make it out to be. Nothing's ever as bad as the detractors make it out to be. That's true. Yeah, I think that's probably a good rule for most things that get into <laughs> right. politics and really most, most things in general. Right. Uh, so should we finish really quickly with Borg skill based slots? Your favorite topic yeah, go, ever? Go for it. This is your. Your bread and butter. So. so there's nothing really to say about this other than Borgata a couple of weeks ago, actually before episode 50, but we scrapped it um, for episode 50 because it was such a meaty, Long important episode. episode. Uh, not that this one's so much shorter, but uh, Borgata sent an email out saying that there will be three new skill-based slots coming to Borgata. Frogger Get Hoppin', which we actually talked about on a previous episode, and it turned out that that was not the version of Frogger that was coming to Tropicana or wherever it was going, mm-hmm. will now be coming to Borgata. Okay. The other two, Pharaoh's Secret <laughs> Temple and Danger Arena. <laughs> so I don't know about all that. I can't imagine they last at Borgata because we've seen them and they're not I'm good. Just, it's like, why is Borgata even like profaning their casino floor with Danger Arena? It seems that's, so that's off That's my impression, from. right? It's like this thing is a joke and like you're the best casino in Atlantic City and like why are you putting this in your casino and making your casino worse because of it? Yeah, I mean who at Borgata wants to play this as opposed to any other – and Borgata has been very, very good about bringing in new machines like – I mean we talked about 
a couple episodes episodes ago, Simpsons, Plants vs. Zombies. Like, these are cool different machines. They've got, like, 18 different Waka machines now. And these are interesting machines. Danger Arena is interesting in concept. It is not interesting in execution. And it's been out there, and people have seen it, and people have decided they don't like That's it. That's horrible. Right. So. And I don't know. Like, I mean, here's the thing: as someone who generally supports skill-based slots, and as someone who really does think it's this, the future, it just it makes my life worse when things like Danger Arena exist because it lets people be like, "Ah, look, skill-based slots are shit. Like, they're never going to be anything because this is the worst thing ever." And I just wish it would go away. Yeah, I mean, my only hope is that this means. There you that... go. I, cur- I cursed on the podcast, Greg. Yeah, awesome. Special for you. Thank you. Uh, I mean, my only hope is that this means that they have a get a relationship. The, the the best thing that could come out of their relationship with GameCo is that they will sort of progress the way Trop has. The nothing but net. Kick these to the curb and bring in nothing but net. And I think, I mean, the one thing I'll say about GameCo is if nothing but net has showed anything, like GameCo is is learning and slowly progressing to make better games, like. Pharaoh's Secret Temple was not a very good game, but it was significantly better than Danger Arena. And Nothing But Net, again, not a great game. I enjoyed it, but not a great game. Is way, way better than either of the other two. So maybe they're getting there, and maybe someday we'll see that at Borgata. But right now, like putting Pharaoh's Secret Temple and Danger Arena on your casino floor, there's better use for your casino floor than those two machines. So are you going to try to go play some Frogger Get Hoppin' if it's there when we go next time? Yeah, I'll go see it. I'm fine with that. I mean, I'm... You're going to make a special trip to Borgata? No, I won't go out of my way to play mm-hmm. that. No. All right. Is there anything else we need to talk about before we close this down? Nah, yeah, let's wrap it up. All right. So thank you guys very much for listening again. I mean, I know we got through the 50th episode last time, but as we start on the next 50, thanks for, for taking time out of your day to listen to us and... Definitely reach out to us and give us any feedback you have, uh, whether it be on Twitter at do for a win or sending us an email to do for a win at gmail.com. Uh, if you want to interact with us and some other people who love Atlantic city, you can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash do for a win. You can follow along all of our content, including the podcast at do for or you can find and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google play, TuneIn radio and YouTube. Um, yeah, I don't know. Any last words? No. I think we've said it all in <laughs> very long-winded <laughs> ways. Uh, so, As is our want. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So uh, thank, thanks again for, for listening to us, and we'll, we'll talk to you guys hopefully at the end of next week. Eric's son's the only one who is proven to fall asleep during our, our episodes. He's the only one who's admitted it.